So I don't know, like last week, where we were in Scripture was not typical for a Christmas passage. We were in Romans, I believe, and, uh, and yet it really spoke. We were in Romans 8. Today, we're going to keep following suit with all this. Because I think maybe you need a little detoxing from Luke 2. And uh, the message in Luke 2 is fantastic. We will get there. We will read about shepherds. We will read about Mary. We'll read about the babe in a manger. We'll read about all of that. But this morning, we're going to go into the book of Colossians. And to set up where we're going, um, I want to share with you a story, a powerful story, by a missionary. His name was Donald Richardson. And he wrote a book called The Peace Child. Is anybody familiar with this book? Anybody ever heard of it? The Peace Child. A couple people in here. Well, let me give you a real quick synopsis. It's a story about his ministry, his missions ministry, to this tribe. And without getting too much detail, it's called the Sawai tribe. And this was your, your dream missionary job. This was going deep into the jungles of an unreached group. You know, headhunters, spears, blow darts, the whole thing. Lots of dancing, lots of food, lots of, you know, craziness going on. And so he and his wife go into this region. And they start trying to share Christ. Now what's interesting is they shared the gospel message. They started with the birth of Christ and they ended with the death and the resurrection. When they got done, they asked the people, well, what did you think? And the people exalted Judas. They thought Judas was the bomb. They thought he was great because he got his money and he made out. I don't think they heard the part about where he, he ended up killing himself. But interestingly enough, they saw Jesus as the victim. And so they didn't, they didn't have any respect for who Jesus was. Not according to their culture, not according to their tribe. You see, that region, they were in constant war with the tribes all around them. Constant war. Killing was like eating or breathing. It was just part of your day. And you had to be careful about where you went because you didn't want to cross territories. You couldn't walk alone. You know, any of those things. Now, as Richardson and his wife started sharing more and more about Christ, something happened. The message of the gospel started to get into the hearts of the people somehow. But the Spirit of God started to change the hearts of conflict. Don't know the name, and I don't think it's important, of the first person from the Sawai tribe. But this is what they did that brokered peace to a territory that knew no peace. They only knew death, conflict, and destruction. And one man from the Sawai tribe took his child, his firstborn son, and went to his enemy and presented his son into the hands of his enemy as a peace offering. Folks, the title of today is called The Pain of Peace. And I've learned a lot about this idea of peace. I didn't get to do a little gloss over on the message because I've preached Advent, you know, probably 15 times. Christ showed me something new out of this Colossians 1 passage that made me think about 
peace in a completely different realm. And so if you've got it all figured out, you've nailed it down, I want you to hit your reset button. Because you probably aren't thinking that I've got to go through an immense amount of pain in order to acquire real peace. And here's your statement for today. Write it down. Pull out those sermon notes. Write it down. Real peace requires that you go to the cross. Real peace requires that you go to the cross. So today as we look at this, the pain of peace. Now what happened with that story? This gentleman, gentleman, this tribesman, this brutal, vicious warrior that had probably killed many men, takes his firstborn son and hands it into the hands of his enemy. What happened? That began peace between the two tribes. And suddenly that became the culture between those two tribes. And they started to raise each other's children. And peace ensued. Where it seemed impossible before, because the conflict was so great. What did it require? It required a peace child. And if you don't think it's painful to take your child, your firstborn child, and offer that child over to your enemy, knowing what? The probability of your child being killed is very real. Now here's the fascinating thing. Does that ring familiar to any of us? It's amazing, isn't it? These folks didn't just listen to the story of the gospel. They heard it and they put the power of the gospel to the test. They said, fine, if the father took his son and offered him to be killed into the hands of his enemies, then let me try that. And whoever the first brave soul was, watched God work immensely. And now those tribes, those tribes know Christ. And there's peace where peace wasn't before. This morning, you want real peace. A lot of the time, real peace requires pain. So Merry Christmas. Let's move on. We're going to read the passage this morning. Turn with me, if you are not already there, into Colossians. This is... um, I don't like to use hyperbole, but if I can, I will. It is an epic passage on who Christ is. So listen carefully. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. Well, let's break this down. We're going to start with Christ. And you know how much I love alliteration. So you've got the Christ, you've got the cross, and then you have the Christian. So let's start with the Christ, because that's where the passage started. Did you see that? It talks about the preeminence of who Christ is. And our society, our world, wants to be confused, just like the Sawai tribe was confused. They saw Christ as the victim. They saw Him as something other than who He is. Now here's the challenge. If we don't know truly who Christ is, we can't truly experience His power or His Spirit. It wasn't until the Sawai tribe started to come into a clear understanding of who Christ is that they experienced His power. Did you see that? So what does Paul say about who Christ is? He's the firstborn of all creation. Let's, let's look at some of this. Number one, He's God's visible expression. Did you hear that Paul says, and in Him the fullness of God dwells. I just want you to be very aware that, that, that Samaritan woman walks up. Wow, how did we get there? Okay, Samaritan woman walks up and says, hey, my daddy says I got to worship you know, over here at Jacob's well, and, and yet, you know, your people down there say, I got to go all the way down to the Western Wall, I got to worship down there. Who's right? Because I'm getting frustrated, I'm kind of confused. Jesus says, What? A day is coming, and even now, where the true worshipers shall worship in what? Spirit and truth. For God is spirit. Now, God is spirit. And yet, for whatever reason, And part of what we celebrated today with the bread, this is the reason that He came into a visible form. And I think that's where people struggle, right? With the confusion about who Jesus is. That just doesn't compute. We like the invisible God, because that's how God's supposed to be. That's how I picture Him. But if you put God into a physical form, I'm like, cerebral cramp, I don't like this. Uh, That just doesn't... I can touch you. I, you're like me. You're like, you're like me. You're not God. Point taken. He is the visible expression of God. Folks, He came as that child so that He could hang on that cross in our stead in human and likeness form. I'm not compelled to get a tattoo. I'm not going on a tattoo rave right here, okay? Everybody just relax. Some of you might want me to, some of you might want me not to. But I saw the coolest tattoo I've ever seen in, in my life this past week. Some of you might have seen it circulating on Facebook. But it's on someone's forearm, and it's Christ on the cross. And then they extend it out so that by the time you get here, your hand is His hand. And at first, it really upset me. I was like, wait a minute, I'm not Christ. And then I thought about it, I'm like, that is the most beautiful picture of the substitutionary atonement. Because I was supposed to hang on that cross. And when I saw that, it really connected for me that it's Christ coming in human visible form. God in human visible form. He came so my physical body didn't have to pay that penalty. Do we get it? Visible expression. Wow. Magnificent. Don't be bored with it. Get excited. Come on, you're all sitting there like this. God's visible expression. The supreme author and authority over creation and the created. i got to tell you something. 
I kind of get in these moments where I want to get in the shop. I want to build something. My friend over here, Rich, he helped shape down the, uh, the, the boxes here so they fit perfectly. And he just did this master. And every once in a while, I was like, hey, uh, I, I was thinking, Rich, you want me to help out? You want to give me a power sign? And I thought, no, just sit back and pray. That's my job. I'll just sit back. And, that's what I can do. I can add that to the equation. Um, I received a gift a couple weeks ago. A little premature, but I don't care. I love the gift. And this gift you can place in different spots in your house. And we were going to put this gift up on our wall last weekend. And so there are three chiefs and not enough Indians. You ever been involved in that job? Three chiefs, not enough Indians. <laughs> so we're all trying to do these measurements. We got tape out. We've got drills. We've got this. We've got... And we're like, nope, no, you've been there? Nope. Like, don't drill it. Well, you told me to do it. And it's like, it's going like this. It's going like this. It's like that tea kettle on the, on the stove, right? It's getting ready to blow. And, and I saw it and said, I just stop. I changed my mind. Let's just leave it where it is. That's fine. Let's put the clock back and we're good. So yesterday, guess who gets a bright idea to try to do the project again by himself? You know, see, if I'm doing it by myself, I don't have to worry about somebody else not doing it the way I would do it because... I'm the master builder, creator. I had to apologize to my eldest daughter, the only one in the house. About two hours later, I sounded like Ralphie's dad from the Christmas story in my family room. Now, I didn't actually use cuss words, but if you saw my heart, it was blackened with, with egregious temper and injustice because of what was biting back at me as an inanimate object. But I, I succeeded and hopefully this doesn't fall off the wall. But the point is, if it's not Legos, I'm not building something very good. That's it. But Christ is the creator. He is the author of creation. He has created it. And here's the, here's the kicker. Are you ready? Here it is. Have you ever built something? Maybe you have those Christmas towns. How many of you do the Christmas town for, for your decorations? None of you? Oh, one, two. Oh, yes, Julie. So Julie does it. Patricia does it a little bit. Some of you guys are like in the closet Christmas town people. Okay. So Julie, have you ever pictured yourself shrinking down and living in your own town? Yeah, because you created it and you made it the way you would want to make it. Right? I picture it all the time. So there's an ice cream store. There's a all-you-can-eat buffet. There's a... Uh, there's a um, anyway... Um, Here's the magnificent thing. The Creator inserted Himself into the creation as that child. Why? For peace. For peace. He is exalted. He is preeminent. He is above all. And yet, how did He come? He came as a child. In His ministry, Satan tries to tempt Him and, and, and says, you know, if you bow to Me, just you know, I'll give you... And He says, No. Others wanted him to perform these great miracles, and he said what? He said, no, it's not my time. I'm sticking to the plan. When he's hanging on the cross and he's dying for you and I, and, and, and those that are before him say, call down the angels if you're God. He says, no, because I'm sticking to the plan for why I'm here. If I don't stick to the plan, peace will never come. Peace will never come. This is your Christ. This is your child in a manger. 
He's free from culpability. Why would I say this? He is the fullness of God. That's what Scripture says. He has chosen to come into the world to become that perfect sacrifice. Remember the story of of Donald Richardson and the peace child, that that child that was offered over to the other tribe had killed what? Seven other children? Throw a rock at a pig? I don't know. Probably that child had done nothing. Right? Stands to reason. That that child was not involved in the fight. He didn't have a horse in that race. And yet, who was the one that was given up for all those who were in conflict? The innocent child who had no culpability in that fight. What a beautiful picture of exactly why this child came to earth. The innocence of this child. This is Christ, the cause of peace. So that takes us to the cross. And as we look at, let's turn to the verse, verse 20, if you will. It requires that we read it again. And it says this, and, and I apologize, I'll back it up to 19 because it's, it's a continuation thought. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to what? To reconcile to Himself, to bring back in relationship to Himself all things, whether on heaven or earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. Making peace by the blood of the cross. Brothers, sisters, real peace requires blood of His cross. Real peace requires pain. You think about the Sa'oi tribe, and it cost them something to establish peace, didn't it? When God decided to reach out to us, it cost Him something, didn't it? It was painful. And for you and I, whether it's with ourselves, now follow this, because I'm going to say this multiple times, this is where we start to pull it into us. And how does this apply to us? When it applies to us, some of us are not at peace with ourselves. Think about that. We are not at peace with ourselves and we will not be at peace with ourselves because it's too hard to dive in and seek the healing that has to happen. To be honest about the things that we're under. To be real about the challenges that we would have to face to go through the healing that we need to heal. Maybe it's with people. Maybe it's with family. Maybe it's with relationships. And we're in conflict with those around us. And unless that peace offering is given, unless we surrender in that peace offering, we will remain in conflict. Unless we go through the cross. You see, when I think about the cross, here's what happens. It brings my pride, hopefully, it brings my pride and it throws it away. I cannot stand in front of the cross and think that I have anything to say. It renders me silent. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So let's look at the cross. What pain was required of this child so we might have peace? He who lied in a manger, laid in a manger. You know what's interesting is as Janine and I have gotten, well, as I've gotten older, she doesn't get older. 
as I've gotten older, and, and we hear about younger couples having children. We have one on the way right here. As we hear about younger couples having children, it's amazing how, um, like, I kind of think, okay, we must have had Dylan in a rice paddy or something. Because I'm, I'm hearing about other people that certain conditions have to be just right. We have to, have, we have to go, and we did. We went and toured our LDR room. And we, we took the tour. We had a Lamaze class. We did, none of those things are wrong. But we're getting, we're getting into higher stages of really requiring the best health care so that we have our children as healthy. Think about where Mary had Jesus. And by the way, Jesus chose to be inserted at that time in the history of man into that town, into that night, into the neighborhood of a king who would want to What? Welcome him with open arms. I got a nice Jerusalem welcome basket for you. Complete with knives and hatchets. Yet he chose to do that. That was the pain that was required. The cross was the pain that was required for peace. Our peace with God came at the cost of Jesus' blood on the cross. When we think about our relationship with Christ, are we at peace with him? Are you? Are you at peace with Christ or are there, is there territory that you're unwilling to go walking down and, and encounter Him with because it may cost you something? Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters. We're going to go in, down a road here in a minute about what if Christ, what if Christ, what if Christ had made choices like we choose. You see, we burden ourselves with safe thinking, with selfish thinking, with prioritize thinking for ourselves. I do it all the time. I'm constantly thinking about what's good for me and how it will benefit me. When I am doing that, I am invariably going to be isolating myself from somebody who thinks differently than I think. You get it? That does not promote peace. That does not take us into the realm of peace. And that was not the demonstration of Christ. The child was a peace offering. Jesus Christ was a peace offering. And it's only because of that demonstration of peace that we can have peace with the Father. Please, I encourage you, I implore you, if you're in conflict with the Father, there may be in your mindset this, this understanding that I just know better. I've not found the person yet, that when they lay that pride down and they go before the Lord and they say, I want relationship with you. Here's my life. I'm giving it into your hands. I'm not holding back. The Sawi didn't hold back. They gave that whole child. That, Lord, I'm giving you all of it. That that person has regretted or not experienced the peace of God. But it is the person who holds back that expects Jesus to give them instantaneously all this blessing and, and paramount levels of peace. And when that doesn't come in an overflowing level, they're like, see, God isn't real. We do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. Please, take that peace offering and lay it before God. And let the peace child do His work to complete you. So you have ongoing peace in this life. Because of that sacrifice, because of what was destined for the Christ child, because of the cross and His blood on the cross, 
Here's the fascinating thing. He who was not culpable for the fight that we're in inserted himself into the fight willingly. And guess what? He who was not sin was made to be what? Made to be sin. Wow. Do you start to understand the title now? The pain of peace. And he would do it over and over and over again for you. Because he loves you that much. And He desires peace for you. That price was paid. That ticket has been punched. You just have to grab a hold of it. You see, it took the man, the tribe leader from the Sawai tribe to go over and lay his child in the hands of the other tribal chief. The other tribal chief had to receive it. If he didn't receive it, there's no peace. Probably was one of the strangest, most odd things that had ever happened to that man. But you see, I think God is in the odd. That's pretty catchy. I just came up with that. I think God is in the odd. As long as it's a righteous kind of odd. So, here's the question. What if Christ approached Bethlehem the way we would? With what ifs? With our rights? Because this is the way I think. See if you can connect with this. By the way, we, we, live in the, we live in the age of civil rights. Let me just say this. I'm all for civil rights. Your, your civil rights are given to you by a nation, by, by a constitution, right? Your rights as a human being are given to you by God. And that's what the civil rights actually say if you, if you look at it. I don't need man to give me my civil rights. And here's the challenge. Are we a more peaceful people now because of civil rights than we were before civil rights in this nation? Some people might say yes. Some people would say no. This week is a reflection. There was a hearty no right there. No! You have permission to speak up in here, folks. Some might say yes. But I would, I would simply say this. We are nowhere close to the peace that was projected because of civil rights. You want to know why? Because man is man. And some words written on a piece of paper do not change people. But they will access those words when they want something. And I'm in that group. If I'm going to be honest with myself, I'm in that group. I would be exercising my rights. So what if Christ did this? Let's look at it. Oh, you know what? We should be stopping. Should I stop right now? Or do you guys want me to go? I've never done that before. I just want to see what you guys would say. <laughs> Sorry, I diverted the clock. Was there and I was going, oh, yeah. oh. Number one. Will exercising my rights honor God by showing the power of the gospel in my life? Great question. What if Jesus asked this question of himself? What if Jesus asked the question, I have rights, I'm God. Why am I going to be saddled with becoming sin? They're all just going to reject me anyway. I know what's going to happen. So now that I think about it, I have the right to say no. But is that showing the gospel, the good news? And yet what do I do when it comes to my rights? Am I asking that question? What if Jesus did? Secondly, Will exercising my rights advance God's kingdom? 
Or will it advance only my interest at the expense of His kingdom? I think sometimes, if I exercise my rights, because I have the right to share Christ, don't I? I have free speech. I mean, let's just be honest about it. I mean, sometimes exercising my rights can increase the kingdom. But I know that there's a whole lot of other times where I'm going to say pridefully, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. Forget it. It's not what I want to do. It's not what I deserve. Do you know what those people think? Do you know what those people have said? Do you know what that tribe is doing? I'm not giving them my child. Are you nuts? Folks, hundreds, if not thousands, in those tribes around that region came to Christ and there was peace in the region because somebody stopped worrying about their own rights. Will exercising my rights benefit others? Well, my wife would say my right to remain silent would be a benefit on occasion. No, I'm just... Yeah, my my sister-in-law says, right now is that moment. Okay. (laughs) Will exercising my rights benefit others? Something to ponder. What about Christ? If He had exercised His right, think about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Christ is in the Garden. What is He saying? Take this from me! Do you realize what He's saying? We're all done. We're gone. If that prayer is realized, and I can't tell you the mystery of all of that. I won't even try. But what it does show us is that He was not... Let me, let me change that. He was disturbed by taking on our sin. Deeply disturbed. It caused what? Pain. There's pain when you want to bring peace. So what if He had exercised His right? Would we have benefited? No. We would not have peace with our Father. Is exercising my rights essential for my own well-being? This goes back to me saying, to, to a certain extent, look, I've been wronged. I've had these wrong things happen to me. And so I'm going to stick on the truth. Here's the, here's the fascinating thing that, that I've studied and, and learned, and we're going to go into this in a minute is that you can have a person, two, two people, two tribes, two corporations, whatever, in conflict, right? Two family members, I don't care, whatever. Each side thinks that they're cornering the market on truth. And in their mind, they are. And, and we'll get into this in, in a moment. But the challenge of this is exercising my own well-being. Often what happens is both parties lose because they're so focused on their, their understanding of the truth that it's costing them so much that they think they're in well-being, but they're actually suffering because of it. Because they are more worried about their rights. Thank God Christ was not worried about His rights. Now please hear me clearly. I am not saying I'm against your rights. I just want you to see what Christ was about. And what it took for us to experience peace with God first and that peace that transcends all understanding that's available for all of us because of that example of Christ. Let's move into something for you and I, the Christian. This is the last point. And so I choose to focus on confession because when you're in those, those last few verses, and let's go back to it, look at it in Colossians, 
when you look at this and we're thinking about that child in that manger, we're saying, what's the significance of this child? It's what He came to earth to do and what that looks like in the long term for you and I. Well, what are those components? It's that He, he what? He brought peace to mankind through blood on, a, on His cross. Then Paul goes on to say, because he started with Christ and he goes to the cross, now he goes to the Christian. What does he say? He says, "...in you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him." That's awesome. That because of His sacrifice, because of His work of reconciliation, we can be holy and we can be blameless and above reproach before God the Father. Praise God. There it is. That's the result of the pain of peace. So then what do we do to experience that? Paul gives us instruction. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. When a shift happens, it's because it's a cause and effect. I go back to turn on the fan to circulate air, and through my magic touch, I blow up the thermostat. Cause and effect. And here's the effect. You're all sweating to death in here now. Okay? Same thing with our spiritual lives. That when I make a choice, I'm in reconciled uh, relationship with God because of Christ, right? But then I choose to make sin uh, a part of my life. That doesn't mean I'm not a Christian anymore. It means that I'm not experiencing the peace that He has for me on a day-to-day basis. And he says, he, Paul says, if you continue in this faith, stable and steadfast. So if I make this choice and now I'm in conflict with God, what do I need to do? I need to make it right. And so there's a lot of things I could have focused on, but I think confession is where we have to start. And if we get this down, we're going to be doing so much better and we're going to have so much more peace in our life. So confession is where I wanted us to start this morning for the Christian because Paul's talking about that. We have to be stable. We have to remain steadfast. We know we're going to sin. So what's the answer? The answer is confess. Get back into that reconciled state. Because of this child, we're reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, speaks about this, that we were old in our old state because of Christ. We're made new because He's reconciled us. Secondly, because of this child, we have access to the Father. We see that peace and talks about it in, in Romans. And it says we've been given peace because we've been justified by faith through the power of Jesus reconciling us. Next, because of this child, we can have peace with ourselves and with others. Let's look at this. Turn to 2 Corinthians 13. This is a concluding remark by Paul. It's a concluding remark to the Corinthians who had a ton of conflict. Mass amount of conflict. And so he gives them a, a bunch of instruction, but he just can't let it go. He paints a picture for them in the very last part of the, of the letter, and he says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice! When you guys are in conflict, how many of you are rejoicing? When I'm in conflict, sometimes my sinful part is, is rejoicing when like, my team is losing to another team, and I'm very conflicted over it, and like, my team lights up that other team with a big hit, Later today, around 6 o'clock, when we make Brady eat grass. 
I'll be rejoicing. That's not the kind of rejoicing he's talking about here. This is a pattern of rejoicing and giving glory to God. I cannot remain in conflict if I continually am rejoicing. I heard this one time from a pastor who said that he had a lady in his church. He had done all these changes. The church was growing. It was, it was doing great. But she hated it. She hated it because it wasn't the church she grew up in. And so she was constantly giving him a thorn in the side. Non-stop. And she was doing it passively. She wasn't trying to be overt, but he was feeling it nonstop. They were in conflict. And you know what his solution was? He sat down and he said, can we just pray together? Can we just pray for the things that are good that are happening here? And so they prayed and it started to melt the conflict. And the next thing you know, her grandson comes to the Lord in that ministry. And guess what happens? She's the biggest cheerleader for that pastor ever. What is she doing? She's rejoicing. The person she was in conflict before, she's rejoicing. Because she, she, started, she started to focus on these other things. She started to focus on the cross and the bigger picture and the kingdom and all that instead of her what? Her rights. What's he say? Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be what? Will be with you. Aim. I love that word. That's a great word. Aim for it. This is not some static cerebral observation, right? Like, you go out to the, the shooting range. We've got some people in here that, that like shooting. I won't expose you. Don't worry. And nobody's packing as far as I know, so you're all safe. I said as far as I know, John. But, you know, you go out and you take someone out to the gun range and they're standing there like this. Bang, 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 bang. You know, we, we took some kids out in junior high one time and, and there was this kid that, that um, wanted to shoot something that happened to run by another kid's foot and he'd never been shooting before and he had a shotgun. And just boom, 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 boom. <laughs> other kid walks up. Boom takes the gun and says, you are never coming out shooting. And, and he gone over all the safety issues. This kid just got too excited. And, uh, and, and sometimes we just don't aim. We're just like a shotgun, just going off all over. Aim at restoration, Paul says. Let's look at this. I'm going to take you through some things that are pretty exciting that I learned um, uh, about confession. I'm going to give you these seven A's. And as we practice confession... I found each of these to be valuable. I found them to become increasingly difficult. You ready to get you ready to feel the pain of peace? Get ready. Because if you practice these, you're going to experience a much deeper peace in your relationships, number one, with God, with others, and with yourself. But it's painful. It'll cost you something to do this. Number one, here we go. Address everyone involved. If, if you've gone through a scenario with this tribe where you're warring with each other and you just make amends with one person, what have you done? You haven't quelled the conflict in its totality. And you may think, well, I'm just going to leave it to that one person to share with everybody else the conversation we, we had. No. Get everybody together so you experience what the Spirit of God can do in healing and setting peace and, and, and breaking down the pride and the difficulty and the conflict. 
Get everybody together. Address everyone. Don't leave anybody out. Avoid if, but, and maybe. Oh my goodness. Have you guys ever done this? This is I've never done it. I don't do it. If I did it, maybe it would sound like this. You guys aren't catching that, are you? Avoid if, but, and maybe. How many of you have done it like, yeah, okay, I was wrong. But... How many of you love that kind of apology? Just raise your hand right now. You love that kind of confession. That is so valuable to you. That is, those are healing words. Right? Avoid that. It's not going to help you. Admit specifically. Uh, you, you know, sometimes we're not very good at this. It's, it's, it's this issue of, okay, I messed up. But, I messed up. And, and by the way, it's not popular to use the word sin in, in our world, right? We're in a dark place. We got in a, I don't know why I just did that with a lisp, but we're in a dark place. Okay? I got into my dark place. I made a, a what? A mistake. Can I just tell you that part that makes you want to say that rather than I egregiously sinned against you, God. That part that wants to keep you from saying that, that is that part, wherever it is in here, that's the part that's got to be done with. That's the part that will never experience the peace of Christ if that part is not killed off. Next. Acknowledge the hurt. It is amazing how often, again, corporation family situation, sports teams, I don't care. Any place where you've got dynamic conflict. The reason you've got conflict is because people are unwilling to budge and they believe that they're right. And in their eyes, they're true. It's, it's real. This is how it happened. And you can't avoid that. That is a truth in, in, in my mind, in the other person's mind, in your mind. So how do you move beyond that? Because rarely do people move past that point. I see that things happen this way. I see, let me tell you, this point right here is how you move beyond that. I'm not telling you to evacuate the truth. Do not evacuate the truth. But if you enter into trying to create peace within a conflict, and you're just going to make it about the facts and your version, you're not going to walk out of that room any more peaceful or any more oriented to peace than before. You have to acknowledge that the person was hurt. If I've done something against my wife and it just doesn't make sense why she's hurt. And I, I think, I just don't get it. I didn't even do that. I, didn't, I don't understand. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I acknowledge that I hurt her. That's what matters. That's what she wants to hear. And by the way, am I saying anything false about myself? Am I, am I changing the truth by saying I acknowledge that I hurt you? No. It's amazing how the truth eventually will come to where it needs to get to if we're just acknowledging the hurt. We need to acknowledge the hurt. Next, accept the consequences. Sometimes when we're in a conflict, like those two tribes, when that peace child was offered, there can still be some scars, there can still be some wounds that are there that are incredibly difficult. And maybe there's some ownership that we have to do and some changing that we have to do. And so we have to accept those consequences. 
and those challenges. But we can still have peace in the midst of that, even though it could be painful. Six, we need to alter our behavior. I need to alter my behavior if it's adding to the conflict. I need to have Christ come and present that peace and show me the demonstration of that peace. And, and say, Lord, whatever you need to do in me, whatever you need to change in me and my part in this, help me change so that I'm not adding to the conflict. Seven, ask for forgiveness. This is the last one. Ask for forgiveness. And I'm just going to speak to the guys. Guys, you know, eyes up. Guys, this is not an example of forgiveness, but this is how we do it. Okay. Okay. You're right. And that's like really pushing it. You were right. The idea behind these in in confession is that you want to experience that peace. You want to be resolved from the conflict. Just simply say, would you please forgive me? Those words, if you mean those words, go desperately far towards quelling the conflict, letting it just fall, be done with. Learn that vocabulary. This morning as we close, I have two quotes for you. One is, all men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. This is why the sermon is titled, The Pain of Peace. Christ experienced pain in order that we would have peace. That's one of the messages of Christmas. And so we need to learn in that fashion in our own relationships with Him, with others, and with ourselves. Are we ready to go the distance, no matter how painful it is, so that we might have peace? So that we might have peace. Making peace requires action. Sometimes crossing the street when the light is red, swimming upstream, getting bruised, and in the case of Christ, maybe even dying. Let me close in prayer this morning. And I pray that as you are seeking peace, as you are going through the Christmas season, that you let Him do that work in your heart. And let me pray over us as a congregation that we move through that. That we don't go into Christmas in conflict. Whether it's Him, others, or ourselves. Let me pray. Father, You promise peace. It was for that purpose that you sent your Son. Give us the encouragement and understanding that if we focus on Christ and the example that He was as this peace child, that it required going through the pain of the cross so that we would be reconciled and have peace with you. And that as as believers, as those who name you as our Lord, that we need to be willing to practice the same in order that peace might exist. Speak to, to each heart that's here. Speak to my heart. Respond accordingly as we have needs. We trust you, God. Let your spirit work mightily. And to your glory, amen.